الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم in the name of Allah the most beneficent the most merciful i testify that there is no true god worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger we continue on the subject of the Quranite sect and their misconceptions concerning the sunnah and we reach the point where we define what is the sunnah and uh, its types and that the companions were on the sunnah of the Prophet and this is one of the sources of legislation in Islam the purity of this matter continued after the after the death of the Prophet and during the time of the companions There is similarity, Sister Aziza, we'll look at that. Until the various uh, sects be started to sprout from the like of the Shia, the Khawarij, the dissidents, the rebellions, and the Mu'tazilites, those so-called free-minded and uh, people of reasoning, where that started to cloud the purity of the early generation's methodology meaning to cast doubt on it and they refused to submit to parts of the sunnah because of certain misconcepts and Tonight, inshallah, we will begin to look at the position of these uh, three sects from the Sunnah of the Prophet concerning the Sunnah of the Prophet Let's take for the first is the position of the Shia vis-à-vis the Sunnah. The position of the Shia concerning the Sunnah stems from their position towards the Sahaba towards the companions after they pledged to Abu Bakr may Allah be pleased with him to be Amir al-Mu'mineen the leader of the believers The Shia take this issue of imama or leadership as not just a matter of concern for the political position and the society, no it's far more than that in fact to them they consider it Ruknuddin the pillar of the religion and the foundation of Islam and they go to the extent that that it is not permissible for a prophet to leave that neglected nor to leave it to the Ummah but rather it's a must upon the Prophet 
to mention and assign the leader and not only that but such a leader to be infallible concerning major and minor sins this is what's asserted in their books and to them they consider that the affairs of the Ummah were left to what they refer to as their Imams from the household or descendants of the household of the Prophet and that the affairs of creation are under the responsibility of these Imams until the day of resurrection this is very important because this really defines how the Shia look at the Islamic knowledge that's why some of them go with the following saying that the religion is based upon two things Ma'rifatul Imam knowing who is the Imam Wa'ada'ul Amana and fulfilling the trust meaning towards the Imam the extremist of them exaggerated in the Imam and lifted him to levels above human levels rather even to divine levels like at least seven of their subsects and there is no need to name them but I will go over them quickly so that we mention just their names Sabaiya, Maghiriya, Bayaniya, Janahiya, Mansuriya, Khattabiya, Hululiya these are subsects of the Shia who went to the extreme concerning the position of the Imam giving him divine qualities having said this therefore they looked upon the companions who gave the pledge to Abu Bakr that they turned kuffar that they became kafirs as a consequence inevitable consequence loss of confidence in the majority of the companions who related the deen to us and that they according to them are not sources to take from them because they disbelieved after Islam according to the Shia this is concerning the understanding why they don't look at the Sunnah the way 
the people of the Sunnah look at it because it is linked to the issue of the companions inseparable and to the issue of the imamite meaning the imam leadership and the exaggeration they have in that <coughs> even if you look at the so called moderates of the Shia although they don't go to the quote unquote extremes of the those who, who gave divinity to Ali however their look does not really differ so much fra from the others concerning the companions as being the ones who were trustworthy in relating the revelation that's why they don't accept from the sunnah except the narrations that came through Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu or those who gave pledge to Ali or were inclined towards Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and those in number they don't exceed 15 of the companions and this is the basis for to the Shia this is the basis for their accepting or rejecting the narrations this led them therefore to reject the ahadith of the majority of the companions may Allah be pleased upon all of them be pleased with all of them It is also important to mention and not to forget that many from the Shia believe that the knowledge of their Imams is divine meaning it does not require effort to attain rather as they put it their knowledge does not increase in their old age does not increase in the old age over the day they were born look at this over the day they were born That's why the Shia consider the narrations which they portray to their Imams as consecutive mutawatir and that anything narrated through other than this chain of theirs accepting it is very difficult and no one should act upon them except if the verdict, the fatawa of the a'imma agree to that 
Furthermore, they added one more thing, which led them to deny much of the Sunnah. They fabricated many a hadith which relates to the exaggeration of their imams and their leaders to lift them to high levels in order what? in order to make the hearts prepare the hearts to accept their sayings thus making of their sayings meaning proof and testimony evidence in the matters of religion therefore in summary their opposition to the Sahaba is the basis for them in is the basis upon which they opposed the Sunnah and rejected it except from the very few narrations that came from those who were inclined to Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and their number is really limited and few now we move to the position of the Khawarij, the dissidents, the rebellions and the name Khawarij is applicable on everyone who rebels against the Muslim ruler even if this Muslim ruler is disobedient Muslim ruler but in history this name is linked to those who rebelled against Ali Ibn Abi Talib radiallahu but in terms of the methodology and understandings it is still present in many parts of the Muslim world Examining the position of the Khawarij with respect to the Sunnah, one finds that, number one, they consider those who don't agree with them as unreliable, whether this one is a Sahabi or not. Secondly, the Khawarij consider those who oppose them from the body of the Muslims as enemies 
even to the extent that they go to imposing tax they see permissibility to impose tax on them jizya and that the land of those opposing them from the Muslims is Daru Harb is a land of war the Khawarij were known in the beginning to magnify the Quran seeking to follow it and that led them to neglect the sunnah and therefore many of them ended up in seeing that there is no need to follow the sunnah when they see according to their opinion that it opposes the Quran because they give the highest glorification to the Quran and that's why they don't follow the sunnah in the case of stoning the adulterer and other things rather they see that the punishment for the adultery is 100 lashes and many or some of them openly denied the stoning when they rebelled during the time of Abdullah bin Zubair may Allah be pleased with him and with more time or at later times after their emergence they began even to divert more and more from the truth to the extent that they considered as al-Baghdadi narrated that the the land or population of those who oppose them is a land of kufr permissible for them to kill the children and women in it and they were also subsect Some of them even dropped the legal punishment concerning alcoholic beverages. And a subsect of them known as Al-Maymuniyya indulged in kufr 
were they permitted marrying the daughters of one's daughter and the daughters of one's son and the nieces yes al why look because of their position towards the Quran they said well the Quran didn't mention those names in the list of the forbidden marriages the same as we hear concerning many things by these people nowadays well this is not mentioned in the Quran this is not mentioned in the Quran and so forth and if you examine carefully their position these deviant positions you will find it so much related to their position towards the Sahaba where they considered that the Sahaba committed shirk because they didn't indulge in their fitna and thus no knowledge, no knowledge could be taken from them and that's why they turned down the narrations concerning all of these laws which they rejected and or they altered and also they looked upon the companions as following quote unquote leaders of oppression because they didn't agree with them in their rebellion against the Muslim rulers and that's why the Sahaba lost their trust and that's why many of them go with the opinion that there is no proof, no evidence except concerning any ruling except that which is established by the Quran and that's why they denied the stoning they denied wiping over the the leather shoes and, this, and, the, and the shoes they said this, these are not in the Quran and they amputated the hand of the thief without looking at the guidelines from the sunnah concerning them because they said the statement in the Quran is general you don't have to define from the wrist and how for how much he's gonna steal until his hand becomes permissible to cut and all of that which the sunnah defined they rejected that and suffice to say then that they accepted from the sunnah that which came from the sahaba who did not share in the fitna and in the matters that took place after that and that's why they rejected 
the majority of hadith from the Sahaba which appeared after the fitna and deviated from the Muslims by their opinions which really influenced many of those who came after them from the Mu'tazilites and the Qur'anites of the past and the present the third, what is the position of the Mu'tazilites vis-a-vis the Sunnah To make it very short and brief, the position of the Mu'tazilite, of the Mu'tazilites in rejecting many or much of the Sunnah, especially the singular narrations concerning the creed, all of that is based upon their reliance of giving precedence to the intellect over the texts this is the main reason that's why they refer to themselves as the rationalists and this is sister Aziza which you hinted to the free minded quote unquote where they impose their intellect and give it precedence over the texts now let's look at the position of the former Quranites historically speaking at the end of the second Hijri century there arose from the Ummah some who called for cancelling the Sunnah in its entirety and not to consider it as one source in legislation all of that is due to the misconceptions laid down by the Shia the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila all together
it is worth mentioning that this inclination to reject the sunnah was not dominant in all of the Muslim lands rather it was particularly present in Iraq and subhanallah Iraq is the place where it is confirmed from the ahadith of the Prophet and from the understanding of the companions that it is the place of emergence of fitan of afflictions as I said it was not dominant in all of the Muslim lands but most particularly in Iraq but there comes the question is that we notice that many of those Quranites come from in our times we notice this many of them come from the Indian subcontinent so how is this we know that when the 13th century of Hijra came in a revival of the denial of the Sunnah which took place in the 2nd century began to emerge again in Iraq and then flourished in India and in India it is linked to the person by the name Sayyid Ahmad Khan then in the 13th century and the other by the name of Maulawi Jaragh Ali then after that Maulawi means Sheikh and after that by Maulawi Abdullah Jakralawi until it reached its peak under the leadership of Ghulam Ahmed Barwiz who brought it to the shore of misguidance 
غلام احمد برویز Alright, the names. Okay. First, Sayyid Ahmad Khan. No problem. Second, Ways, I think that's it. Yes. Okay. Wayakum. Let's take this Sayyid Ahmad Khan. Briefly, we'll go over them. Sayyid Ahmad Khan, who was born in 1817 in Delhi, he was very much influenced by the British. He began his position towards the Sunnah began by making figurative interpretations concerning the unseen which came in the Sunnah and also his figurative interpretation of the Shaitan of Satan that it refers to the evil powers which man cannot control And then he ended up denying the Jannah and Nar, the paradise and hell and the angels and the jinn. So that really uh, fired the common Muslims against him. And then the scholars took a position, clear position, where 
they judged him as a kafir why when he said that the Quran was brought down on the Prophet sallallahu in meaning only in meaning only not with words with letters but it was the Prophet sallallahu who formulated its words from his own that which prompted the scholars to declare him as kafir also he denied the miracles like for example the throwing of Ibrahim in the fire and the birth of Isa of Jesus from without a father and like the swallowing of the fish swallowing of Jonah by the fish denying that or making figurative interpretations and metaphoric interpretations of all of that and that any mention of miracles in the sunnah he would refer it to that it is in opposition to natural forces end of quote and therefore it can't be true to oppose the natural forces and in his denial of the hadiths pertaining to the jinn as a creature and based upon all of this he concluded that the rulings deducted from the sunnah generally are rulings which Muslims are not obligated to follow as to the other person by the name of Jaragh Ali Jaragh Ali he was born in 1844 as he was much influenced by the movement of this Khan Sayyid Khan he was one of the pillars of his school of thought yet this person not only defended Khan's views however he wanted to color Islam with western civilization concepts so he ended up interpreting the Islamic texts in ways that fit with the European style of living
take for example his position towards the hijab he concluded that the hijab is not something which Islam mandated he said that the Prophet did not command his wives with the hijab nor did he prevent them from it and that on the other hand take for example his position towards jihad he said all the wars of the Prophet ﷺ were in self defense and also he vacated the meaning of battlefield jihad where he limited the meaning of jihad only to exert the effort to attain something then he came where he really unraveled his position from the sunnah where he said that the Quran is perfect from all aspects and it goes along with the movement of a human civilization and its development and that it lifts its followers to the highest levels of progress and civilization so if we really correctly interpret it it would lead us in this direction however quote, if we limit it to the opinions of tafsir and their ways and we limited it to the narrations then the situation can turn upside down and then we will be declined to destruction instead of progress and moving with development because these narrations few of them were correct and most were assumptions quote unquote and delusions of scholars to the end of his words his opinions together with Sayyid Khan and the members of their school had a great impact in promoting the denial of the Sunnah from those who came after them and of the adoption of these thoughts
these are the some of the historical perspectives to this movement of denial of the Sunnah from the first century of Hijrah until this second emergence of the Quranite movement which evolved in several Islamic countries in close periods and uh, inshallah we will talk in the next talks about the denial of the sunnah on the tongue of those who speak Arabic we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from all afflictions from, from all misconceptions we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from the ways of misguidance and uh, inshallah we will consider the those the second aspect of those who deny the sunnah from those who speak the Arabic in the next talk we seek refuge in Allah from all of these fitan and may Allah preserve us from that Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Muhammad Wa Alaihi Wasallam Ajma'in